just want to say thank you that you are God and this is about you and this is from you and this is for you. And Father, we get caught up in this incredible um, story that's been going on for, for millennia. But even though we're part of a big story, you see us individually, you know us by name. You call us by name. And Father, you have great intentions, great plans for us. And Father, this morning as I unpack your word, Lord, I pray that although it may be interesting, although it may be um, entertaining perhaps in places, Lord, I pray that it would be transformational. That you would send us from this place a different person from where we came. And do this in your name, Jesus. Amen. So, wow, it's got brighter. Okay, I can't see a thing. Sorry, I just looked up some bulbs. Let me start with a joke. Um, There was a human resources manager, and tragically, she died. It was a very sad day. And she got to the pearly gates, and there was Peter. And he turned around and said, look, this is really awkward, but um, we've never had a HR manager come this far. Uh, We're not really sure what to do. So we've decided and we thought about this. And what we've decided we're going to do is give you the choice. You can either go to heaven or hell. And she was like, well, I kind of want to go to heaven. She goes, no, 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 don't rush. Don't make your decision now. What I want you to do is is try a day in hell and try a day in heaven. And then you can decide. She's like, okay, fine. So he hits down on the elevator button. She goes downstairs to hell and the doors open. And it is not what she is expecting. It is a beautiful golf course. The sun is shining. The grass is green. Right on the far back of this golf course, there's an incredible uh, country club house. It looks incredible. And so eyes pan around, she starts to see friends and family and, and people and acquaintances and colleagues and she's just, oh, she's in love with this place. They run up, they embrace her, they reminisce, they play a great round of golf and then in the evening they go for a meal, they have a steak and lobster dinner, she's having the time of her life and the evening just swings by, she's just partying and dancing and having the greatest time ever and the end of the day comes and you know, not only that, you know, Satan is just the friendliest guy in the world. It's really confusing for her. But she, the end of the day comes and she, you know, finishes in there. She hits the, goes into the elevator, zooms upstairs, and then spends the next day in heaven. And heaven's great. It's fantastic. She's just safe. She's comfortable. She's doing what she loves doing. She's having the time of her day, time of her life. She gets to hang out with God, and he's pretty cool too. And then at the end of the day, she... Peter comes up to her and says, okay, well, you've spent a day in hell and you've spent a day in heaven. So where would you like to be? And she wrestles with this thought. She wrestles with this idea. And she goes, you know what? I'm not expecting to say this. This has surprised me. But I think I want to go to hell. And so Peter says, okay, it's your choice. The rest of eternity be in hell. And so she goes back down on the elevator. It's really well connected. Um, And the doors open and it's not the same place. And she looks around, and it is dark, it's desolate, there's rubbish everywhere, there's insects flying all over the place. She just absolutely shocked. She looks around and sees all her friends, and they're not the same people. You know, they're in raggy clothes, their hair's a mess, their face is worn and tired, and they're just going around picking up rubbish. And Satan starts to wander over towards her, places her arm around her, and she goes, but I don't understand, what What happened? And he goes, well, you see, yesterday we were recruiting, but today you're on staff. 
We've all been disappointed by promises. Whether we've started this new job and found out that we were employed by Satan himself, or we've bought a new gadget and we're just so excited about what it could do and it does one more thing than the last thing did. Or you know, maybe you've bought into that idea that if you just do this one thing, if you just you know, buy that other thing, if you just end up with that person, then life would be perfect. We've all done that. And not only that, if you've been a Christian for a while, You've probably come across that incredible verse and you've maybe stuck it up on your wall somewhere you know, where God says in Jeremiah, for I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. And then you look, at, look around and you see a completely alternate reality. You see struggle and you see strife. You see you know, things, no matter how much you do or earn, you just never seem to get ahead you're full of worry, anxiety, and just things seem to be overwhelming. You can hardly just enjoy life, let alone propel yourself into this great future that lies before you. And at that time, it's hard to see God's promises being real. And yet, the promise is clear. And God has a plan for you, and it is good. And so the tension we have is, how do we marry our current reality to the promise that God has for us. And that's what I kind of want to unpack today. Chris has been unpacking this theme of the promise of the Father for the last two weeks, and you can catch up with this in the podcast, and you can catch up with it in the church app. And I really encourage you, last week's talk was fantastic. Um, But today I'm going to talk about not just the promise of the Father, but the fulfillment of the promise of the Father. And so just to recap where we are in history... Uh, The disciples have been following Jesus around. They've seen him preach. They've seen him perform incredible miracles and wonders. They've seen him heal people and set people free. They are absolutely convinced that God is among them. And then he died. But then he rose from the dead and they were never again the same. And then after um, spending 40 days convincing them that he was alive and it was him and he was here, Before ascending into heaven, he made this promise, the promise of the Father. And it says this, Wait for the gift my Father has promised. In a few days, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And so the disciples waited a few days. Three days passed. Okay, well, Jesus rose from the dead. Surely this is it. And nothing happens. Six days, seven days. Okay, God created the world in seven days. This has got to be the time of the promise fulfillment. Nothing happens. And then after 10 long, very long days, the longest days ever, even though it may have seemed like Jesus was slow, his timing was perfect. And on the day of Pentecost, a Jewish celebration, it happened. Now, before we talk about what happened, you know, it's easy for us to look at Pentecost, this story which we're about to unfold, and see it as a Christian thing. We see it as a, uh, a promise that was made just a few days ago that was fulfilled. But there's so much of a bigger picture here. If you look at the Jews, you know, if we look into the mindset of the Jews at this time, this went back way before. In fact, it started with this. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And then humans being made in his image, his likeness. God blessed Adam and Eve and said, multiply, fill the earth, and rule over it. You know, God's joy for his children would be that they would fill the earth with his image, his presence, 
his rule and reign. In other words, they would establish the fullness of what heaven looks like, where God lives and God reigns. Establish that on earth. So this would look like heaven. The word for that is the kingdom of God. They were charged to set that. They were sent to set that. But more than just being sent, God was blessing them to do it. This was his promise. And he was going to empower them and equip them to make it happen. And then Eve ate the fruit. And then God came up to Adam and said, yeah, what's happened? What happened here? And Adam said, oh, man, I'm so sorry. It's entirely my fault. It's not Eve's fault. She's perfect. You know, actually, I messed up. I should have stopped her. Oh, blame me. You know, let her free. Okay, he didn't say that. Actually, he said, she did it. And then he was like, and she was like, no, he did it. The serpent did it. And the serpent was like, yeah, I did it. And now your entire creation, God, and all your children belong to me. Result. From that moment on, mankind no longer reflected the perfect image of God. And so the kingdom of God was pushed out and replaced with the kingdom of Satan. And the world descended into chaos. But God refused to give up and he kept on reiterating his promises to Noah, to Abraham, when he said, I will bless you and all the people on the earth will be blessed through you. And eventually, through this great story of the Exodus, where all these people, uh, all these uh, God's people were uh, crammed into Egypt, and Pharaoh was getting a little bit uncomfortable, so he decided to enslave them. And their lives became misery, and they cried out to God, and God said these incredible words, I have heard my people crying out, and I am concerned about their suffering, so I have come down to rescue them. And God did exactly that. He rescued them, and took them out of Israel, uh, sorry, out of Egypt, and set them free, and, and for the next few weeks, his presence was with them, with a cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. It was an incredible moment where God was with them. Fifty days later, Moses ascended Mount Sinai and brought down the Ten Commandments, the Ten Laws. And if they obeyed these laws, they would be reformed into the image of God, where they could once again continue the mission that God had set before them. This day became known as Pentecost. And was always celebrated as a reminder of God liberating his people from slavery in Egypt so that they in turn could liberate the world from slavery to Satan. You know, interestingly, and as a side note, no sooner had they done this, received the law, they disobeyed it. At that moment, 3,000 people died, almost proof that it was impossible to be perfect again in one's own strength. And to try always led to death. We could never be good enough if not, and we needed God's help. Though after many years and after God's help, they eventually established what looked like the kingdom during David and Solomon's reign, which Jews refer to as the golden years, where they see it as most what heaven would look like if it was on earth. There was people with good health, relationships, communities, and everything was thriving. Not only that, there was creativity was unleashed. Innovation flourished. It was both physical and spiritual. The golden years, the kingdom, what the kingdom on earth would look like. And then they messed up again. And then eventually they were exiled from their land. And they were scattered all over the world. And then they spent hundreds of years in that place wondering. The stories remained. These great tales of what God had done in the past 
But the promise of God lingered unfulfilled. They were still in exile. They were still scattered. Sickness, selfishness, and sadness thrived amongst them. So every heart longed for God to once again fulfill his promise for God's kingdom to come. So imagine when Jesus arrived and he started preaching that the kingdom of God is near. You can imagine the electrifying excitement amongst them. Is this a promise that's being re-spoken? Is this what's going to happen? And not only did Jesus preach it, but he also demonstrated it when he healed people, when he set them free, when he cast out demons, when he you know, released them from captivity. This was heaven on earth once again. And more so, it wasn't just about taking people out of one place and putting them in another. It was liberating from where they were. They were being set free from within. And then Jesus died. Was this another promise unfulfilled? Another disappointment? But then he rose from the dead. And then he ascended to heaven, leaving him with this one promise. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. For the astute among you, for the Jews of that time, this would have reminded him of a promise spoken long ago. God blessed man and woman, and he said, multiply, fill the earth, and rule over it. God's promise was once again spoken. What God started at the beginning of time itself, he was once again committed to fulfilling. The kingdom of Satan would be pushed back to make way for the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of God. And so the disciples waited. Three days, six days, seven days, nine days, And eventually, after 10 days, even though it seemed like Jesus was slow, his timing was perfect. And on the day of Pentecost, the great anniversary of the amazing Exodus, when expectation was at its highest, it happened. If you've got a Bible, turn to Acts 2. We'll read through what happened. If you haven't got a Bible, we'd love to give you one. There's one at the welcome desk. Grab one on the way out. Or if you've got a phone, turn it to that. Let me just read this from Acts 2. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like a blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be like tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they said, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said that they have had too much wine. And then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Now, I'm not going to go through Peter's speech, but it is incredible and I would love to unpack it. So if you desire to read that, go home, open the book, email me, talk to me. I'd love to talk through that. When he comes to the end of his speech, he says this. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart 
And Peter and the other uh, and said to Peter and the other apostles, "Brothers, what shall we do?" Peter replied, "Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit." The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord has called and God will call. With many other words, he warned them and he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to that number the day. It is an incredible story, an incredible a moment in church history, a moment which started the church. But let's unpack it as to what it means to us today. It starts with expectation. When Jesus died on the cross, he paid for every sin in the world. So any who cash in with Jesus and trust that he has paid the price for sin stands completely forgiven and on good terms with God. This destroys the power that Satan has and begins the liberation, not just of one nation, but of all people, anyone who would cry out to God, anyone who would believe. You know, just echoing that thing that he said over Egypt, I have heard my people crying out and I am concerned about their suffering, so I have come down to rescue them. So 120 disciples are sitting in this room crying out to God and when the time was right, the Spirit of God blew from heaven. The same breath that spoke creation into being suddenly filled the room and landed on each and every single one of these guys. God was recreating the earth and he was fulfilling his promise from the beginning of time. And that power came on the disciples and enabled them to do so much more. They were filled with the Holy Spirit and left the house immediately with that new power that God enabled within them. You know, you and I are, are, when we're filled with the Holy Spirit, we are empowered. We are enabled to walk in it. And it may not be tongues, but it may be something else in a situation. If you've been filled around, you don't just walk with the Spirit of God. You walk with God himself inside of you. The kingdom of God breaking out inside of you and through you. And the promise that propels it from behind, that God will do what he has set out to do. All we need to do is expect him. And how do we expect him? We ask him. And how do we ask? We pray. And how do we pray? And Jesus taught us how to pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on heaven and on, as it is on, as on, on earth as it is in heaven. When we are asking and expecting these kingdoms come, we will see his promise fulfilled. Let me give you uh, an example of this. So I was um, out in Verulanian Park. This was a couple of years ago, I think. And um, I, was, I think I had a talk to do. So I was sitting on the bench praying, and the sun was about setting, so it was getting dark. And some guy came over to me, and he had his uh, jumper over his mouth and, and seemed to be walking towards me fairly aggressively. And he started kind of shouting at me and, you know, said, I don't know, he was asking for money or whatever it was. And he came right up to me. I was sitting on this, uh, on this bench. He started kicking my leg. And I was like, oh, man, this is awkward. <laughs> and I didn't really know what was going to happen. I thought, well, if we could fight, uh, either I win or lose. Either way, it's not going to end up well. 
I could give him money, but I didn't really have any, and I certainly didn't want to give him what I had. So I, was, I just did all I could do, and I, I just sat there, and in my head I was just saying, come Holy Spirit, the best prayer that I knew at the time. What I didn't realize was when I was saying, come Holy Spirit, I was saying, Holy Spirit, come. And when the Holy Spirit is there, God is there. And when God is there, his kingdom is there, and it breaks out. And so I, uh, I decided I was going to say something to this guy. I don't even know where this came from. And I decided I was going to say something really clever. And I said, mate, are you all right? <laughs> no, seriously, are you all right? I mean, you're looking pretty angry, which made it a whole worse, to be honest, to start with. But I carried on, and I carried on talking to him. I carried on asking him, and eventually I stood up. I said, look, you look like you're just having a really bad day. Do you want to talk about it? What I didn't realize was in the background, in the spiritual, if you will, this guy came over, empowered by the kingdom of Satan. He came over with you know, oppression, with anger, with uh, an opportunity, a desire to crush. But there was me welcoming and inviting the kingdom of God. And while we were having this lovely conversation, behind the scenes was this incredible power encounter between the kingdom of Satan and the kingdom of God. And what I didn't realize was the kingdom of God was starting to win and push back the kingdom of Satan. There's only one winner in these situations. And so I carried on talking to him and eventually he said, oh, you know, just having a really, you know, he was having a really horrible time at home. And I said, well, what do you want? And he said, well, I want a drink. And I was like, okay, we can go down. And he said, I'm underage. I said, well, that's okay, you're paying. I'll pay. And he said, no, actually, I don't, I don't want that. I said, well, do you want to talk? And so he sat on the bench next to me. We talked for a few minutes. And I said, look, can I pray for you? Ten minutes after some guy came over aggressively trying to start something, the kingdom of God won over, and ten minutes later, here I am sitting on a bench praying for him. This is the kingdom of God breaking in with expectation. All I did was invite God, and he did what he wants to do anyway. Expectation is everything. Where do you need God's kingdom today? Where do you need God's shalom? That was what the Jews described it as, peace. Your family, your neighborhood, your workplace, maybe there's a group of people your heart breaks for that you would love to see the kingdom of God break out in there. No more suffering, no more pain, no more tears. Life to its full. Maybe it's personal, maybe you're tired, maybe you're fed up with trying to look like it's all okay. Maybe it's physical. Maybe there's something that's holding you back from the plans that you feel like God has for you. You know, we have a group of people that pray before the service and uh, they, they, they stop and listen to what God wants to do today. And they come up with what they call words of knowledge where God says, Look, say these because I want to do something in these people's lives. I want to bring healing. I want to bring the kingdom of God. And I'm going to read these out now. We read these out at the end. And always we offer prayer to my right, your left, where we just pray, come Holy Spirit. And if any of these speak to you now, I want your expectation to build. God's kingdom is breaking in and breaking out in this place. 
So let me read them out. There's a lady suffering with labyrinthitis. That is incredible. What is that? There's a man who's lost his right big toenail. There's a lady with, strained, with a strained right wrist. There's a person who's getting pain in their thumb joints. There's a child suffering from asthma. There's a person with carpal tunnel syndrome. And finally, there's a lady who's an artist who longs to paint but has lost the inspiration. I love that one because that's what I just said. Creativity is unleashed. Innovation flourishes. When the kingdom of God here is here, there is breakthrough. There is wholeness. And I pray of you, if that, any of those relate to you now, come Holy Spirit, be healed in the name of Jesus. May you know freedom today. Come down the front after the service. Have someone pray with you. After expectation, there comes explanation. In the story of Exodus, each sign and wonder of the plagues was explained by Moses. Without Moses' explanation, Pharaoh would have no idea who he was up against. Not only that, the people of God would have no idea who was liberating them. There's always an explanation. In the same way, when we perform signs and wonders and miracles, and we are called to do that, if we are just brave enough to step into it, it's not the signs and the wonders that bring people to God and, and save them. It brings them to a place where they ask questions. And when they ask questions, we can bring them an explanation. You know, wind and tongues of fire came from heaven, breath and power, word and spirit. We're invited to both speak of God's love and demonstrate it. You know, there are many gifts of the Spirit. And if you look in 1 Corinthians 12, you can see a, a list of them. Or, you know, if this is completely unfamiliar to you, then uh, Essentials 102 would be a great place to go in June. We're one of the courses that we run here. But seemingly, for some reason, most common are the words of knowledge where, like this, you just get a, a, an inclination that you think may be relevant to someone. A prophecy. Healing. When you would just reach out and say, do you mind if I pray for you? Come Holy Spirit, and you would see them healed. These seem to be the most common. They seem to be the ones that seem to be at work a lot. And then you get tongues. Now, tongues is an interesting one. Tongues is when you kind of babble another language. And I, I speak in tongues when I'm by myself, driving around the city praying. But it just weirds me out if I was to speak in tongues over someone else. I would just be wondering what they're thinking. Maybe you're not like that. You're looking at me plain face. Clearly, you're more spiritual than I am. But sometimes I wonder, you know, we strive... Do we strive so hard to be normal that when people look at us, they don't actually see anything different? They don't see God. You know, I'm not going to lie to you. Like the disciples, they went out and they did some, they spoke in tongues. And some people responded, you look weird. You look like you're drunk. And sometimes you're going to look stupid and you're going to look silly. And do you know what my great advice is? Get over yourself. It's not about you. Because for some who you interact with, for some who you pray for, for some who you take that bold step, God will use you to bring heaven on earth, the kingdom of God in that person's life, that they would be transformed, they would be changed, they would be saved. So that you can explain the good news to them. 
There's a great story that came through on email just over a week ago now. It's on the website under the stories by a lady called Debbie. She may be here. I don't know. But it's a great story. And she went to a chiropractor, and, um, and he was talking about how he had been in a motorcycle a while back and was really struggling with pain still. He had some loose bone floating around his neck, as you do. And so after her treatment, this is funny, after her treatment, she offers to treat him. She offers to pray for him. And he accepts. And so she prays, and she prays in tongues. And she speaks over him, and, and she gets a word for him, a word of knowledge, a prophecy, whatever you call it, a word of encouragement. And she gives it to him, and he is clearly touched. The kingdom of God is clearly present. The Holy Spirit is clearly at work. It doesn't get completely healed. It doesn't get healed at all at the time. But she knows that God has been there. Four weeks later, she goes back to him, and she uh, asks him how it's going. And it was true. The kingdom of God was breaking out. And shortly after, he started to feel incredibly better. He no longer had to go through his 15-minute neck warm-up before he started his day at work anymore. God was starting to heal him. And this is the key. He asked questions. He asked Debbie what language was she speaking in when she prayed for him. And she explained it was tongues. And he'd kind of heard about it before. He was a Catholic guy. But he'd never seen it. In the same way of healing, he'd heard about it, but he'd never seen it. And this is the kicker. This is the awesome thing. The result of that explanation is he started to explain it to other people. Patients would come in and he would start to tell them about it. Family and friends, they would start to talk about it. He was just explaining what had happened, how Debbie had explained him. Debbie knew that the kingdom of God, the power of the Holy Spirit was within her. God himself resided and was going to fulfill his promise. And now he did too. The healing continues, but more importantly, God's promise was being fulfilled. His kingdom came in this guy's life, but also in the lives of those around him. Nothing would stop God achieving what he had set out to do. Whatever the gift God enables in that situation, let's use it to lead people to a place where they would ask questions, that we could give them an explanation, a hope, the reason for the hope that we have. And finally, with expectation, you add that to explanation, the result is an explosion. Peter stood up and explained what they were doing and what they were seeing. He then gave them clear directions. Repent, turn from your, uh, turn from your way to God's way by trusting in Jesus and you will be forgiven. You will experience heaven, the kingdom of God, through God's free gift of the Holy Spirit. This is for everyone, no matter how far off you may feel. Do you know, notice he had to say more and he had to plead with people. And we may have to have numerous conversations with friends and with strangers. After God, even after God has done the miraculous. But we do so because it's a matter of eternal life or death. The kingdom of Satan is being destroyed. And when it is destroyed, everyone who is still in it will perish. Peter knew this. That's why his heart burned and begged those, burned for and begged those who were dying to be saved. 
And the result that day was an explosion, the birth of the church. Life exploded forward. The kingdom exploded out. From this moment on, God's promise was being fulfilled. In a dramatic, symbolic turnaround to steal a phrase. So in a dramatic, symbolic turnaround where 3,000 died at Mount Sinai. 3,000 would come to life at Pentecost and would never die that promise that seemed to fail so many times because of people's unfaithfulness was now being fulfilled because of God's unwavering faithfulness. Out of this single explosion, to steal a phrase, the big bang, the real big bang, these Jews were sent all over the world to their own cities where they had come from, to their own towns. And contrary to Catholic belief, which believes that Peter started the church, the chances are it was just some ordinary people now filled with the Holy Spirit that went back to Rome. And they started a church that would then eventually become known throughout the entire world. Just some ordinary people filled with the Holy Spirit. Do you know if a single life could be transformed, then maybe a family could be saved. You know, if a family could be saved, maybe a community could be saved. And if a community could be saved, maybe a nation, maybe the world. This is God's intention, his promise, which he will fulfill. Would the band join me, please? Do you know, it was clear that, clear that God was fulfilling his promise through his people, and all they needed was the Holy Spirit. Someone wrote in a book this, Paul went and preached the gospel in a society more immoral than ours. And yet six months, within six months, he was sending people out to plant churches. They didn't even have the New Testament at the time. Paul just told them the basic message and then sent them because he knew that all they needed was the Holy Spirit. You all have what you need to accomplish the plans that God has set before you. God has heard your cry. He has heard, he has shown compassion, and he has come. More so, he is going to establish his kingdom through you. He is going to bring heaven on earth. There may be times when it seems slow, but his timing is always perfect. And if he can fulfill his promises from the beginning of time, despite the enemy's best efforts to thwart it and despite people's unfaithfulness, how much more could he do if you are willing? Let me finish with this final interesting fact. You know, revivals used to come centuries apart, hundreds of years between each revival. It's now just decades God is closing in. God is doing more, and each revival seems to be more powerful. More people are being affected by it. Let us build our expectation. Let us be ready to ex explain the experience that people are having, and let us be ready to see the explosion of God's kingdom in this place. Let it be known that ordinary people of St. Albans trusted in God's promise and saw God's kingdom come. So as we reflect on Pentecost, the anniversary of the church, let's also reflect on 2013 being the 25th year of St. Albans Vineyard. 
We stand this year under prophetic promises. That's why we do the call to prayer on Sunday evenings. That's why we pray every single Sunday morning to see revival, to see the kingdom come. Would you guys mind standing? And as we stand, we pray that prayer that God taught us to pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Or in short, as we go out into the world, come Holy Spirit.